From the Financial Times in London, I'm Fiona Simon and this is FT News. Raqqa in Syria looks set to be the next battleground as the US-led coalition seeks to crush ISIS in the Middle East. The group is fighting to cling on to the last neighbourhoods of its other prized stronghold, the Iraqi city of Mosul, which it seized when it swept across Syria and Iraq in 2014. Now Raqqa, its stronghold in Syria, is almost entirely encircled by US-backed Kurdish forces. With me on the line to discuss this is the FT's Middle East correspondent, Erica Solomon, who's been covering the campaign to oust ISIS from both cities. Hi, Erica. Can you describe the situation in Mosul? How close are the US-backed Iraqi government forces to retaking the city? And what's the level of damage to the infrastructure and to the civilian population there? So right now, we're at a stage where most people believe that the battle for Mosul is entering its final stages. They believe anywhere from a month to two months, depending on how fierce a resistance is put up in the last sort of big challenge, which is the old city of Mosul. Basically, the Iraqi forces backed by the U.S.-led coalition have seized all of eastern Mosul, the eastern half of the city, and they're now working up their way through the western half of Mosul. But the old city has been the most challenging. Um, A lot of these ancient cities in the Middle East have these very tiny, narrow, winding alleyways that you have to basically traverse by foot. So both sides of this war are now in this fierce fight on foot in these alleyways. And the second problem is the huge civilian death toll that, as we've seen in recent weeks, that can cause. As you're probably aware, there was a a major airstrike where it's believed that up to maybe 200 civilians were killed in western Mosul. It's still very difficult to get the details of what happened, but this is one of the big challenges. So the Iraqi forces have been trying to recalibrate how they take the last bit. But despite all of these difficulties, it still looks like Most people expect the battle to be over soon. And what about the damage to the city? Is there much devastation? Yes, I went to much of the eastern half of the city and, you know, it's been recaptured for months now and still you walk through there, there's piles of trash and black goo kind of running down the streets. People are using electricity and water that they've basically rigged up themselves, so using wells and local generators. I mean, basically there is very little government role right now in sort of uh, rebuilding infrastructure. It's basically non-existent for a lot of the people living there. So it will be a lot of reconstruction effort and money that the Iraqi government really doesn't have. Now, it seems that Raqqa, which is admittedly a much smaller city, is facing a similar kind of onslaught. What's the mood in the city? The mood there, I would say there's a sense of foreboding and also in some ways a little bit of schadenfreude for those who were anti-ISIS, seeing the group's presence really start to disintegrate in the past few days. But I would say that the biggest thing that you hear from civilians who have left there recently or who are still there is a real kind of anxiety about these coalition airstrikes. They've been watching the news just as carefully as everyone else has about Iraq and Syria, and they've seen reports of these airstrikes that have killed dozens, if not hundreds, of civilians, and it really worries them. Also, there was a warning last week, wasn't there, from ISIS that a nearby dam had been hit and this caused panic. Although the rumour proved false, what kind of a threat is there of flooding from the dam, perhaps because of poor maintenance? 
The UN has been warning for months, literally, that this dam is a big concern. And uh, the Syrian government, obviously right now Syria is in a civil war with different parts of the country in different hands. The Syrian government, which doesn't control the dam, has also put out warnings about this. And there does seem to be a case which the UN itself made that actually the problem is that there were airstrikes on or near the dam, which would probably be done by the coalition, and that that caused a lot of damage that's making it harder to run the dam. The big problem right now in terms of maintenance is how to do it when the whole area is a war zone. So we, we've had reports that maybe some engineers were killed. It's very hard to determine if that's true. But all of this is, of course, raising the anxiety of you know how to prevent any catastrophes from happening. Generally, what I hear from people close to the situation is they still don't think it's extremely likely that this will happen. But it's definitely something that if you're a citizen of Raqqa, you're going to be worried about. And how many people are now left in Raqqa and where have they gone when they have fled? Raqqa is believed to have anywhere from 100,000 and up. We don't really have great estimates right now, especially since recently there's been a mass migration out of the city. But the numbers have fluctuated because for a while before the war against ISIS really took off, Raqqa was actually a point of refuge for people leaving other areas in Syria's civil war. Those people will likely have tried to leave, but there are very few options for civilians in terms of where to go. Raqqa is basically almost fully encircled by coalition forces, and there's one way out through a river, so they have to cross a river by boat, and that leads them into ISIS territory. So some people are taking that route and fleeing deeper into ISIS territory, especially if they're sympathizers. Some people are trying to make their way into the nearby Kurdish militia-held territory, which is working with the coalition. That requires a lot of money. I've heard people say up to maybe even $1,000 per person because they need to use smugglers to get them through the landmines that basically are just crisscrossing this entire area. So... What the majority of people do who have some means is camp out in the countryside. They'll just kind of go into the fields, the agricultural areas near the city and put up a tent and they're planning on living there for the next few months. And what about the militants? I gather that some of them have fled, but you know, what kind of presence do they still have in Raqqa? One of the interesting things that we noticed in working on our last report on Raqqa this week was that there's been a huge drop in the presence of ISIS in the city. In fact, some people described it to us as the sense that the state part of the so-called Islamic State had evaporated. So the administrative officials who sort of gave this self-proclaimed caliphate its veneer of being a state, of running a tax office and having a, a prison and, you know, running electricity, all of that, they say, is kind of gone. The hospitals have been shuttered. The prisons for the vice police, the people who, like, would monitor what people wore, have been emptied. Even the criminal prison... The prisoners have disappeared. They don't know where they went or the security forces guarding them. But what they say is that you can still see fighters there. So they do still sense that the part of the organization that is going to put up a fight, that is going to have a battle with the coalition and its ground forces are still there. But despite that, you do hear a lot of people wondering, like, how hard is ISIS going to fight? Like, have they actually in a way given up on Raqqa? If they do withdraw, where do they go next? The group itself has indicated that it's going to sort of melt away into the desert regions between Iraq and Syria, where they do have some sympathizers, and they can operate there in secret. That's a likely thing that will happen. The other thing that a lot of people in Syria think will happen is that we're actually going to see ISIS push downwards south towards Jordan 
and towards the border with Lebanon. So there's this area called the Badia in Syria, which is wide and remote, rugged terrain. And they think that ISIS will try and take advantage of this region and sort of find positions there. There's been a lot of fighting right now in the Badia in southern Syria as rebel groups prepare for this. They're anticipating this and they're trying to push out ISIS from the footholds it has in that area now. And they've made some advances, actually. But the problem is is that because this area is so remote, a lot of people say that this territory is just going to keep trading hands. So it's likely we'll see a continued presence as well near the border with Lebanon and Jordan. And that's going to obviously be a concern for these neighboring countries who have so far managed to avoid the worst of this militant group's presence in the region. And now I'm sure that they will be concerned that that could change as their border areas become potential refuges for these militants. But either way, they must have lost a lot of credibility in the last year or so. Yes and no. In some ways, of course, ISIS has lost its bid to try and create a state. And for people who thought that maybe this could be some kind of alternative because they were frustrated with their government, that's definitely no longer there. But ISIS is counting on a rebound, if you will. What they're expecting and what's unfortunately quite likely to happen is that they're going to leave and other forces are going to come in, whether they're militias or even government forces themselves, and that there will be clashes between local communities that now have these sort of bitter feuds between those who were related to ISIS members, those who fought it and lost loved ones to it. And they're expecting, you know, it'll create a certain amount of chaos and that maybe neglect and marginalization by the government. Because, you know, there are still government officials who feel like, why did these cities let these uh, militants in? And of course, the response from the people who live there is, why didn't you protect us? So it's kind of a vicious cycle. And I think ISIS is kind of hoping that the potential feuds that could result from that will give them a way to get back in with these communities as anger builds up again. So that's sort of the big question now for the future is reconstruction and how do you bring these communities back together to try and prevent that from happening. Thank you very much, Erica. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.